The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. All right, it's that time. Special emergency Sour Hour today. We usually, uh, you know, we're about once a month, uh, but a special guest rolling to town, so we had to scramble and get some studio time from the BN, and... Uh, we made it happen, so thanks for that, Scott. Oh, we were happy to make the accommodation. I did a little dance when you told me he was going to be in today. Yeah. Enough with the teasing. Our guest tonight is Rudy Hakire. Yes. All right. Only took me probably two days of practice to get that. <laughs> and contrary to what you might be picturing out there, he's not Japanese. No. Did it, is that what it sounded like when ha- I said it? Hakire? That sounds Japanese, doesn't it? I don't no? Know. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know how to speak Japanese either, so... Moving on. I don't think I'm the only one who thinks... <laughs> All right, whatever. Anyway, Rudy is the brewmaster at Rodenbach. So, you know, we're a show all about sour beer. You know, Rodenbach is, you know, basically the original sour beer, and Rudy is the modern-day father of sour beer. So it's just a great honor for us to have him here. Uh, I was talking with Rudy right before the show, and I was wondering, you know, if you were the person on planet Earth who's brewed more sour beer than anyone else, what do you think? That's... Could be possible. I cannot prove it, but I think uh, it's like that. I'm sure we have the biggest stock on wood, beer on wood in the world. Uh, that's unbelievable. It's like Babe Ruth coming to a baseball podcast or Pele coming to a you know, football podcast. But Rudy's not dead, but otherwise, absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah. Is Pele still alive? I don't know. Okay. Is he Japanese? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, it's a great honor to have Rudy here with us tonight. Um Quick recap of the last show just before we jump into all things Rodenbach. Uh, go ahead and check. It's actually not up on iTunes yet, I don't think. Show number eight? Not yet. No, I have to uh, you know, work do my work. Uh, Edit Bay Magic, but I'm going to do it uh, with this show, so it should be uh, this week. Good. Make me sound better than I do. Exactly. People don't know. People say, oh, you sound really good. And it's like, thank you, Scott. You're welcome. <laughs> well, I just people might be, you know, what if you do like a live talk somewhere and mm-hmm. people are going to be wildly disappointed? Like, man, I thought this guy was articulate. I'm used to people being disappointed with me in person, overall. So <laughs> nothing, that's, nothing new. Yeah, that's nothing new. Um, yeah, so that's that's one thing I want to touch on. And then the other is just that, uh, you know, usually we use the top of the show to promote some uh, rare barrel-related uh, things. But I'm going to cross-promote, media term, PR term, uh, with uh, Rodenbach here because Rudy's going to be at our place on Friday for a Meet the Brewer event. Um Rudy, do you, what what beers? Are, I think you're bringing a lot of special beers for this whole North North American tour. What do you guys bring into uh, the Rare Barrel on Friday? Um, I think uh, it will be the the Grand Cru, uh, and also the the Vintage and um, and uh, Caractère Rouge. Awesome! Yeah, I saw some uh, some bottles. I might have even saw the is the Vintage in there too. Is that the awesome? And Rudy. that I wanted to ask you a little bit about the Vintage beer. So that's one uh, oak vat, one fooder. That gets released on a, an annual basis. Yes, it's a seasonal beer uh, that we bring out in um, in September in autumn. Great, and ha- you know, I, if if my math is right, 
and I've, I've been to your brewery before and it's kind of like you walk through first off it's just beautiful the surrounding neighborhood it's amazing it's a nice new shiny brew house which we'll get into but then you go into the oak vat rooms and i think there's about 10 of them you walk through one and it's like wow this is the most sour beer i've ever seen and you're just in the first room and then you go to another one and then you go to eight more so that's a lot of beer to choose between how do you what's your process in uh in kind of selecting you know the one that stands out more than the rest mm-hmm. uh, the most important thing and everyone who makes sour beers uh, is that you have enough sour beer so that you can blend the beers the master beer or the master sour uh, as you want when you don't have enough fats you have to to take the one after the other so we can wait longer than two years if it is necessary when there is a fat that is ready after 21 uh, months then it is uh, and we can use it we use it also we guarantee that the average is 24 months awesome so that's a that's a full two years of aging in those oak fats all right does every kind of leak on you or you have to do maintenance kind of along the way on those because it's that's a lot of oak yeah, okay, we have two coopers in the, in the brewery since uh, the beginning of the brewery and we always uh, we always uh, do the maintenance of the of the brewery of, and and the and the vets, yes. Awesome. Um and just taking a quick step back, let's kind of go back to your your start at Brewery Rodenbach. Uh it was back in 1982, is that right? Yes, the 1st of April. And ha- what was your what was your first job there? My first shop was a purchaser. I have to purchase the the raw materials, the investments, uh, the packaging, uh, all these things. Um, And uh, uh, year after year, I uh, I was more interested in in the production. And in 93, uh, I became a production engineer, uh, so brewmaster. Awesome. I I just want to point out, Rudy, that uh, in April 1982, neither of us were born. Yeah, that's possible, we, we were yes. not alive. Yeah. But as you see, sour beer keeps you young. Uh, yeah. yeah. No I'm, kidding. He looks better than we do. Uh, apparently I may not he, say that, but... Uh, he doesn't sleep either, and he doesn't eat, you know. Yes, his, uh, his, uh, his handler uh, this morning was like, yeah, this guy is uh, <laughs> boundless energy. Thank God, because he's got a schedule that keeps him up like 20 hours a day. Uh, it makes no me problem. feel good, because all we're doing is making sour beer, too. So, I, you know. Yeah, sour beer conserves you very well. I hope it's so. Preservative. preservative, yes. <laughs> preservative. I knew there was uh, a method to our sour madness here. Absolutely. I'm counting on that. Um, so you've been there for more than 30 years. Yes, 30, nearly 33 years, yes. But I've lived uh, with my wife and my family during 12 years at the brewery. Yeah, so there's, a, there's an, actually like an apartment there, is that yeah, right? there's an apartment um, uh, above the reception of the brewery, and uh we lived there for more than more than twelve years, between eighty four and uh, and ninety six. Yes. Do you have any stories of like a a brewery emergency waking you in the middle of the night, like a uh, you know one of the oak vats just springs a leak and you have to run down uh, in your pajamas? The big the big advantage of oak vats is that it cannot spring. It's wood, uh, so um, never happens that it can always uh, leaking and it's drip by drip, but mm-hmm. that is not a problem. Uh, with a metallic uh, vessel, that's another problem. When you put too much pressure on it, uh, then you can have problems. So no, no middle of the night calls calling down to the brewery. Not for that. Nice. Were you were you married when you got that job, or did you meet your wife once you already worked at Rodenbach? Uh, I wasn't married when I uh, arrived at Rodenbach. It was uh, afterwards that I uh, 
find my wife in uh, in Rooselaar. So now the first time you took your wife back to your and you showed her that you lived at the brewery, what was her reaction? Oh, I cannot <laughs> cannot say that, but uh, she accepted that. She so liked it. She liked it. Okay. It worked well, out well. Clearly, she liked it. I mean, you know, she hitched the yeah, wagon she, to your train. Yeah, she's yeah. still with me, so... Uh, good woman. I'm happy with that. Yeah. Very good. Um, you know, in all my excitement to have Rudy on the show, I forgot some of our top-of-the-show stuff, which is, you know, all you guys listening can participate. Call in, talk to Rudy, uh, 888-401-BEER. You can... Is the chat up? Yes. All right, you can join us in the chat. Um, and as always, you can email Scott Pestron during the week for some feedback. Um, Scott at thebrewingnetwork.com. You can watch the show, see... Rudy's well-preserved manner on uh, Brewing Network, thebrewingnetwork.com slash TV. And go ahead and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, all those PodWave applications and apps. Yes, sir. Those different things, apps and applications. Um, yeah, apps are appetizers, right? And applications are, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Does that sound right? <laughs> yeah, I think I'm you pretty sure. You're right. oh, thanks, Bebo. That was oh, terrible. Bebo's cut it out in post. I don't know. I'll look, I don't have a snappy retort to everything. Jesus, <laughs> I'm lo- I'm lobbing you alley oops here, Scott. Come on. That was not a, <laughs> no no. That was not easy. So, Rudy, uh, what what brings you to the United States? You know what? You know we're we're very thankful to have you here. Um, we're going to get into a little bit of all the fermentation stuff in a little bit. But what what's what are you here for? Uh, to support to supporting um, our se- export sales force uh, sales force here and also to bring in in the market um, our grand crew in uh, bottle masters uh, so the 33 centiliters so there's a new there's a there's our plans for a, a new packaging for a new type grand of packaging crew. yes awesome so it'll be a smaller bottle more for uh, like a sessionable portion that's right yeah. because now we are only on draft and in big bottles uh, and I think this will be better for uh, for the American market. Awesome. Is it the first time that the beer has been in anything other than 750? Uh, not the first time. We were also in the market uh, in the past in 33 centiliters, yes. How come you were they not selling enough? How come you stopped? I cannot say. I have to ask it, but uh, be, um, the bottle master is something new now. Uh, awesome. And then, uh, that's that's really good. Is there any chance that um, character Rouge or the the vintage beer or maybe even a longer shot is the food beer will become increasingly available in the United States? Um, food beer, um, not directly uh, on certain um, uh, exhibitions, I think it will mm-hmm. be, but, uh, but not normal. Um, but uh, the vintage and, and, um, and character Rouge are uh, seasonal beers and normally only sold in um, 75 centiliters uh, or once i think in uh, in vats awesome. uh, for the for the vintage yeah when i uh, when we were in belgium this is probably um, 2 years ago now maybe uh we went on the tour and then went to the the nice bar area there afterwards and got to try each and i remember the food or beer especially i i was very into and very thankful that we were able to try it so a lot of the places you're going on this trip We'll be serving all those, right? Mm-hmm. The Fuder beer is a technical beer. It's um, it's the mother beer. Uh, you have to understand that that Fuder beer before you can um, appreciate all the other beers, of more appreciate all the other beers. And is that so? That's kind of like the base. Uh, and is that more sour? And it's the one you use to blend back with the younger. Um, yes. No. 
after two years, we have several vats who are ready to use. Mm-hmm. But uh, the most important thing is to blend the the right uh, vats with each other to make a, a standard mother blend uh, who um, who is uh, confirm our specifications. And then we blend that mother blend with the young beer. The young beer is normally always, nearly always the same. Gotcha. And are there certain levels you're trying to hit when it comes to pH or a certain amount of acetic acid or ethyl acetate? Okay, that's that. Uh, uh, when I speak about our specifications, that is uh, ethyl acetate, ethyl lactate, uh, lactic acid, acetic acid, uh, that's uh, the pH. All these things are our specifications uh, in the modern blend. But the origin of um, sour beer is a preservative for beer, mm-hmm. but controlled. Right? You have, um, it's, um, you can use hops as a preservative, but then you have uh, the disadvantage that your product is bitter. Right. Uh, bitterness isn't in our genes. We are protected against bitterness. You have to wait uh, till you are old enough uh, to accept that uh, bitterness. And uh, an older way of beer conservation was um, storing a part on wooden vats during a long time, make a sour beer and blend that sour beer together with your young beer, mm-hmm. reduce your pH back to 3.5. 3.5 is a very important pH because because under 3.5, your bad beer bacteria will not develop in your product very easily. And 500 years ago, that was a revolution because they could uh, uh, the shelf life of the beer was uh, instead of one week, uh, three months. Mm-hmm. And you kind of go from trusting the the publican with that over time to the brewer starts to take control of that i think you mentioned that sour beer was was um common uh, let me say 100 years ago mm-hmm. uh, it replaced in um, in our area by um, more top fermented and butter fermented beers uh, but it was very very common right great uh do we have any questions to go to scott sure so our questions on this show, all of our shows, are brought to you by sourbeerblog.com. Follow along with all of Dr. Lambert's exploits on that blog. It's a great place. Uh, he routinely you know, does a lot of uh, beer reviews, too, a lot of Belgian stuff, a lot of American sour. So I encourage you guys to go check that out. This is uh, Kevin Foster who emails, uh, Hey, guys, my question is about bungs and bungholes. Can you talk about the best way to close up a barrel of fermenting sour beer? I've read about Lambic brewers switching to hard bungs uh, at some point after fermentation has slowed down. I have a 15-gallon barrel of three-month-old Lambic in my basement right now fermenting with an S-shaped airlock. The temperature is fairly stable, um, but you can see the water move slowly back and forth with slight temperature swings. Is it better to leave this type of airlock in there and accept the uh, oxygen it may let in uh, or pound in a silicone hard bung and risk pressure buildup in the barrel? He said, by the way, uh, the Lambic he's talking about is already awesome at three months old and that we uh, deserve some of the credit for that. Oh, that's great. Go ahead and send us some as a yes, <laughs> as a thank you. Please do. Um, so I'll, I'll get into the, the bung types and stuff, but this actually uh, promotes a good question for Rudy, which is, you know, I know that uh, the air that's in on the top, the headspace of the oak vat is very important to different flavors in, in Rodenbach. Mm-hmm. What does the top of the vat actually look like? Is it totally sealed? Is it letting some pressure go in and out? What is the, the top? Oh. Um, we work only with uh, standing up vats, uh, no laying vats. Advantage of a laying vat is that you can top it up completely, uh, just uh, to the hole in the, in the top of the vat, and uh, you can avoid 
uh, acetic acid, uh, acetic acid formation. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and then you have another type of beer. You have a beer that is more uh, lactic and less acetic. Uh. In our type of fats, we only work with standing up fats, as I've said. And um, you always have an upper shoulder. And in that upper shoulder, you have uh, airspace. And that airspace gives you the possibility for the development of um, acetic acid. Our type of beer is mixed fermentation and is um, is based on making a very acid-matured um, beer on wood to mm-hmm. blend with the young beer and to reduce the pH um, and to bring in as lot as flavor as possible. And there is more flavor in a, in a slightly acetic beer than in only a lactic beer. And when it, so, I've always wondered this about the the stand up, as you called them, uh, mm-hmm. the bats. Uh, so the the top head, it's not in contact with any beer. How do you keep it moist so it doesn't dry out yeah. and allow more? It is in contact with the beer because um, the, the fats are standing in an angle, and the beer is coming to the manhole at the top of of the fat. Uh, so partly of the top of the of the vat is under beer. Oh, really? So it is not uh, like that that uh, that the top is uh, not in contact with the beer. So only one section of the top is not That's in right. contact. The upper shoulder is oh. not in contact with the beer. But with the capillarity, the beer is going through the staves over the whole top of the vat. So each of those vats are they're all leaning? Yes. Wow. In it's a hard, small angle. It's hard, yeah, it's hard to notice when you're, you know, standing in the room with them. But that's really interesting. But also a big difference is we work with fats of 180 hectoliters. And um, most of the sour beer brewers work with um, wine fats of 2.2 hectoliters. So mm-hmm. the maturation speed depends of the, the, the ratio uh, capacity over um, surface, inner side surface. Absolutely. And that's, that's something I want to get into you with about, you know, you have a few different sizes um, and then kind of ask your opinion on the Amer- a lot of the American sour beer makers, because that's, I think, maybe a big part of why you're here is to mm-hmm. educate on, you know, how, you know, you have all this knowledge to give about sour beer. Um, it'd be great to kind of get into that with you in a little bit. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Rudy. Are you a member of the American Homebrewers Association? Well, you should be. Members of the AHA can focus on brewing beer, and the AHA takes care of the rest. The American Homebrewers Association advocates on behalf of homebrewers like you to legalize the hobby in all 50 states and make sure that beer laws make sense. Plus, there are many great benefits that come with your AHA membership, like AHA member deals that give you awesome deals at bars, restaurants, breweries, and more. Zymer G Magazine and Zymergy for tons of articles, how-tos, easy-to-follow recipes, and news about the hobby you love, and access to the members-only content on homebrewersassociation.org. But the AHA can't do it without your support. Join today so the American Homebrewers Association can keep fighting for your homebrewing rights. Visit homebrewersassociation.org or join now from the homepage of the Brewing Network website. Relax. Don't worry. It's the American Homebrewers Association. No yeast man, you're missing out. White Labs Yeast Manager, Yeast Man, is available free to any brewer. Yeast Man is your direct link to White Labs Yeast Production Facility. Yes, you can check yeast availability, and yes, you can place an order, but Yeast Man is much more. View yeast quality control and analytical reports. 
see your big QC Day entries and reports. Get access to the entire White Labs catalog, specials on overruns of freshly made yeast, and customized options for your account. Yeastman is the only real-time online ordering in the business connected directly to factory production. Yeastman is always on and always live. It's the largest online marketplace for specialty brewer's yeast and related products. Visit yeastman.com today and tap directly into White Labs production facility. Gonna brew? Yeast man to the rescue. BN Army, I'm here to talk seriously for a second. You all are partially responsible for something explosive, and it's time you answer for it. Moonlight Meadery is exploding. Yeah, exploding across the country. Wait, they just landed in Australia with insane quality meads. With nearly 70 different varieties of mead on the market, Moonlight Meadery has blown up the mead category and completely reinvented it. Seriously? What? Seriously? What? You're paying money for that watered-down mead when you could have a Moonlight Mead? Moonlight Meads explode with quality and flavor. They're a party in a bottle. Did someone say party? If you want mead and want the best, you want meads from Moonlight Meadery and will accept nothing less. And now get 15% off by going to MoonlightMeadery.com forward slash BNArmy and use coupon code BNArmy at checkout. Hey, sign me up for that party. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, this is Jamel Zanisha, and I love a bold, hoppy beer, one that spits resin in your face and makes you cry, Uncle. There are a lot of great hoppy beers out there, but at Heretic, we want to make something as bold, dank, and resiny as possible. We use hops at every chance we get, including multiple dry hop additions. The result is Heretic Evil Cousin. This light golden, 8% Imperial IPA has an easy malt character that helps take the edge off the massive bittering but it takes a backseat to the in-your-face hop character. We make sure this beer finishes dry so the hops can jump out and slam me in the taste buds. If you can't get enough hoppy goodness, Evil Cousin is your cup of tea. Cheers. Nico, listen, our lawyers said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months at the, to the next meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines, so I'm the professional. <clears throat> Hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment 10 years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Hell or High Watermelon Wheat Beer at Brew Free or Die IPA in the Northeast, Northwest, parts of the Midwest, and Alaska in cans and on draft. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in the can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. We're back. Rudy Hakire is joining us, brewmaster at Rodenbach. So we talked about in the first segment, uh, Rudy's here doing a, a whirlwind tour. He's in San Francisco Bay Area, um, obviously with us here today, uh, at Toronado for an event later tonight in San Francisco. Um, tomorrow night, Tap 415, a beer dinner, uh, Rare Barrel on... 
Friday. And then uh, after that, I believe Chicago's next. That's going to be right. fun. A lot of good spots you're going to. Hopleaf, North Down Cafe, Binnie's and Lincoln Park, and Bangers and Lace. I've been to Hopleaf and Bangers and Lace. Great, great places. And then you're going to New York. Whole Foods on Houston Street and then the Top Hops Craft Beer Bar. Wow. This is quite a tour. Just I, I'm picturing I him. Uh, just after saying that, I'm picturing uh, Rudy, uh, you know, flying into SFO into like a you know a private strip mm-hmm. uh, in like a you the, know the like, Rodenbach private jet. Right, right. It's got it's like got the wrap on it, the Rodenbach logo across yep. the across the jet. And it's like a twelve seater. I mean, not a huge jet, you know. Popping bottles of Character Rouge. Right, and then you know the the oh, the door opens and out steps Rudy, and he's got the trench coat blowing in the wind. Yeah, sunglasses <laughs> on. So how accurate is that, Rudy? <laughs> Not, not that's not what happened. Okay, no. it was a bigger jet. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, we were uh, talking a little bit during the break. Uh, you know, right right before we went to break, we were talking about uh, the Oak Bats and how uh, Rudy's saying they're at Rodenbach, they're stand up, and they have a little bit of a lean. But you're you're telling us during the break about the difference. One of the main differences between the the stand up and then the sideways ones. Yeah. Um, when the fats are lean, uh, can avoid the oxygen and you can make um, um, uh, lactic beer uh, and not too much acetic mm-hmm. uh, only when you let uh, a part of the of the laying vats empty at the top you can have um, more acetic uh, acid formation uh, in a standing up fat you have to control it very well otherwise you have too much acetic but vats that are used for maturation standing standing up fats that are used for maturation are made for making acid beer um, because only a part of the beer in uh, in the past was used to blend with the young beer to reduce the pH, as I have said. Now, uh, the, the the advantage of a, of a standing up fat is that you can clean it, you can go inside and you can clean it completely. Mm-hmm. Because it is tilted, it uh, it drains completely also, and that is important. That is important that there is no water uh, stays or cleaning water stays in the fat. Um, advantage of a big fat is always that you can go inside and to scrape the inner side away. Then you will lose your culture. Uh, but then you can, uh, when you lose your culture, then you can do um, a positive selection. Um, mm-hmm. What is a positive selection? That is that you take a culture of another fat that is the best one uh, of your whole cellar and you inoculate again the, 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 reset, the fat that you have reset and you go further. That is what we are doing now 200 years. And how, what volume, when you're doing the re the resetting, the re-inoculation, is it a percentage of uh, 10%. 10%, okay. 10%. And then I think, you know, one of the points you were making is that, so, okay, you have the, the laying down that you can fill it to the very top, but when you're, when you're draining it, mm-hmm. you could run into a problem that the lowest point of the vat, you know, there's a, a bulge there at the bottom. That's right. Uh, you cannot make it completely empty for a big laying vat, not a small laying vat. Mm-hmm. That vat, you can make it completely empty because you, you suck it from the top. Right. And then your your uh, standing vats, those are you know, slightly leaning forward, and it's all coming to the lowest point, and you that's get right. a little, uh, right. like a port or a valve there or something. That's right. Yeah. Great. I think that's, uh, that's good advice. What, what do you think about, you know, a lot? Of, there's so much difference between the way Belgian brewers are making sour beers and American breweries. What, what has been your experience just, at, just drinking American sour beer so far? Um, 
in Belgium there is a, a, a big experience since uh, centuries, eh? mm-hmm. and the, the cultures that are in the vats and in the breweries is uh, is formed by uh, by ages and ages. Um, in the US, the, the sour beers that I have that I've drunk here um, are mostly inoculated with um, Brettanomyces yeast uh, and yeast strains. Uh, we have in our vats um, a zoo of different yeast strains and uh, and different um, Brettanomyces, also at Rodenbach, not only in the Heuse breweries. Big difference between spontaneous fermented beers and um, the mixed fermented beers as we do. We go with a young beer, an alcoholic beer on wood, and we have only a maturation of alcoholic beer on the on the vats. Um, comparing with the spontaneous fermentation, when they have um, an equal... In an equation in the in the cool ship, mm-hmm. they go with wort on the vats, and then they have the main fermentation and the maturation on the same vat. That we say the yeast culture stays in the in the vat, and then you have autolysis of the yeast, and that gives a typical flavor to the beer. Um, comparing with the American um, uh, sour beers. Most of the sour beers are, are inoculated by typical uh, one or maybe two uh, different um, uh, wild yeast or Brettanomyces yeast. And uh, um, I may not say that, but from time to time I have the idea that they are not so complex. Mm-hmm. They miss a little bit of complexity. They can do better, I think, to use more different strains. To, and you, So you're seeing a lot of that in the Belgian beers that... Not only just more strains, but more developed because they they are so old, so many times reused. But that will not say that uh, what happens here in the states is uh, is not good. And uh, um, I think it's 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 a very good idea what happens, and uh, they support that sour beer style. And uh, and I think in the short time they have built up a lot of experience. But I think uh, we will see uh, a lot of development also. Well, we're riding on your coattails, so, you know, we appreciate all the experience you're bringing, and, and hopefully, you know, on this show, there are a lot of sour beer brewers listening and listening to what, you know, the advice that you're giving. What I've seen, that is that um, American sour brewers uh, started up with uh, wine vats, nor no have changed into standing up vats, and I think this is a good evolution. I will see it also, uh, I hope that I will see it also in other breweries, because when you, when you make a sour beer, standing up fat is very important. Absolutely. Well, you're not going to like the rare barrel because we have all wine and barrels. <laughs> you have a few uh, actually laying on side, uh, slightly bigger vat, but more like a 15 hectoliter or something like that. Very small. It just sounds like you, you haven't evolved yet. <laughs> yeah, we're still growing You're up. a Neanderthal brewery. Yeah, we're about one or two years old, so mm-hmm. give us some time. So James James from Connecticut is in the chat room, and uh, let's he was asking questions about uh, uh, Brett, which you just uh, elaborated on. So let's see if we can put a little finer point on it. He you, he asked what type of strains you use uh, and when you add it, um, and so you just went over that. So he goes on to say, what type of character uh, do you want from Brett, and what type of character do you want to avoid? Um, what can I say? That is that um, we have the character of the yeast strains, of the uh, the bread strains that we have. Uh, I cannot say that be- because we don't add any bread strain to our beer. It were the, the strains who are in our vats. Naturally occurring. Natural. In the wood. Yeah. Or at least leave it the only, in the wood. The only strain we added is our yeast culture with 
different yeast strains in it. We have different yeast strains and, and, a, and a small part of lactic bacteria that we tolerate. So you intentionally are adding, you know, you say yeast strains. Are you talking about Saccharomyces? Saccharomyces, different yeast strains, yes. And then you're also adding lactic acid bacteria. Is that lactobacillus? We don't add it. It is in our yeast culture itself. Oh, it's, it's in the mixed culture that's yeah. been going for two centuries. Yeah. Excellent. That's that. To me, it's it's a it's a romantic process. It's it's world class beer, wonderful beer. I mean, you look at the the list of awards that Roanbox won is just like absolutely incredible. One thing that I wanted to ask you about is. So you have this mixed culture. Of course, you have kept it alive for all these years. But is it also, you know, now with, uh, you know, there are some uh, things that you are, you know, you're an old world brewery, but you're making some modern advances. Is one of those modern advances keeping these uh, yeast and bacteria isolated in, in a lab for long-term storage? That's a very good question. Uh, we have made a lot of investments, that's right. And uh, the biggest investment that we have made was uh, building a new brew house. The old brew house dated from 1864. We have, brewed, we have made our brews uh, in that brew house during 100, 138 years. Uh, <laughs> and that's quite a long time. Uh, it was completely used and we need an, another one. But what, uh, why you use um, a brew house is to make wort. And the wort must be so hygienic as possible mm-hmm. um, and and the yield of your brewing process must be very good uh, otherwise you lose your money that is making wort but making wort is the is the basic but when you use the same um, raw materials or the same blend of the raw materials then you will have uh, an, an, the same wort at the end um, and then it started it started uh, up by your yeast coach mm-hmm. that is typical for your brewery and then the maturation that isn't changed since 200 years so we do it as modern where we can do it and we do it in the old way where we have to do it that's our p- uh, philosophy mm-hmm. and in our filtration we only centrifuge or um, um, we, we, we clear or make our beer bright with a centrifuge not with a filter because mm-hmm. we want to have as much flavor in our product as possible, and you're trying, you're also trying to lock in that flavor once you do your blend with a, a quick pasteurization. Is that right? That's right, but it's only to stabilize. Pasteurization is not bad because uh, it's much more better to have a thermal um, thermal pasteurization comparing with a, a chemical pasteurization. What I am see, what I see in the wine is they are doing a chemical pasteurization by adding sulfites. Mm-hmm. We don't do that. Right. And that's something that uh, New Belgium Brewery does. Of course, uh, Peter Buchart, formerly of Rodenbach, is a big fan of that. And we had Lauren on our, uh, was it second episode? And she has a strong defense of, you know, pasteurization as an ability to stabilize and have the beer taste exactly like the blender intends. Is that is that how you feel also? That is like, that is so, uh, and I'm um, um, I'm a defender of that because um, it's important that uh, when once you have your idle um, flavor in your product, you have to share it with your customers, and uh, you have to protect that, uh, and you will not have an evolution in your bottle, mm-hmm. or but not not even in your vat. So at one point there. Are 
you were not uh, pasteurizing the beer in in the previous year, and there was evolution in the bottle. And in this country, there are many hardcore beer collectors mm-hmm. and people who would be interested in you know comparing them. So, what, what was there a date in particular where you started to do that? When I arrived in '82, uh, there was a pasteur, uh, flash pasteurizing. Uh, so that is not new. So be, even before then, it was bef- way before. I that. think uh, we have to go back in the '60s. Oh wow, interesting! It's quite so a long time. Those bottles probably not still around. Although you know, if you find, I, I heard, uh, I think this was on another interview or in a, a one that I read of yours that you had a, a bottle from 1967 at the brewery. Yeah. And it was tasting good. It tastes like beer. So wow. and it tastes like our beer. That's very important. But I can I can share you that uh, sour beer and dark beer mm-hmm. um, uh, conserve the best in in the bottle, rather than lighter sour beers. Uh, I cannot say that sour beer. Uh, sour, is, sour beer is, um, is very stable in the bottle, yeah. but the dark beer is more reductive. You have more reduction capacity when you use dark molds. It's the same thing you see uh, in higher alcohol, uh, like imperial stouts in the United States. People are, like to collect a lot of those, along with sour beers. I think when people talk about building a beer cellar, those are two of the common styles that they, they populate it with because of those two two reasons of a preservative factor. But I I actually don't I don't think imperial stout this is just my opinion. It comes close to the preservative factor of a, of a sour beer. Let me yeah. ask this about uh, pasteurization. Would you be for it in, like, does the, um, the fact that the beer travels far, goes to the United States, mm-hmm. does that factor in? If you, if you sold beer only in a five-mile radius of your brewery, would you still pasteurize? Um, I think when you stay in, a, in an area around the brewery, then it is not necessary. What I've seen with my son uh, in his brewery, he don't pasteurize his beer. They fill the beer unfiltered directly from the vats in cakes, and uh, they sell it to the pubs. That's possible. But it's only when you have, um, you have your distribution under control. When you send the beer to the U.S., uh, people want to drink your beer as it has to be. And when there is a problem with a bottle or a cake, you cannot come immediately to the U.S. That's uh, logistic impossible. And therefore, you need that pasteurization process, I think. I think there is a, a, a slight amount of overreaction of people when they hear about pasteurization. I mean, we're talking about a beer that one of its main qualities is that it stays great for so long. So this is just one other thing that helps it stay great, stay stable, stay tasting the way that Rudy intends it for such a long time. Um, you know, there's a, a little bit of a romanticism of sour beers changing a lot in the bottle. But, you know, once uh, sour beer takes a long time to, to learn about, learn your process. Um, and you have uh, uh, Lambic breweries who know the process very well and they maybe know how their beer will change because they've been doing it for 100 years. But American sour breweries, we a lot of t- times we don't know which way it's going to go in the bottle. It can go down just as easily as it can improve. So, yeah. But it is not because you have, you, you have a flash pasteurization um, during your filtration process that there, is no, that there is no evolution in the bottle. There is always an evolution. The polyphenols, you have the, the, um, the precipitation and the reaction of the polyphenols together with the, with the proteins who are in the, in, in the beer. So there is always an evolution. That is what you are seeing in wine. But they are using a chemical 
um, mm-hmm. pasteurization by using sulfites. And even by using sulfites, you have a precipitation of the anthocyanins and the polyphenols of the tannins together. Uh, and you have the depot uh, in, in, uh, in the bottom of, of, the, of the bottle. So that's true. You know, you are still getting improvement over time. And that actually brings me to another question that I'm curious about. So Rodenbach is a 750 milliliter bottle with a, a cork and cage uh, closure. Mm-hmm. What, you know, we have the brewmaster here. How do you think your beer should be? St- There's a big controversy. You know, how should you store a beer side or up top? You know, what, what's your opinion that's on a, that? That's a good question. That is uh, the same answer as you have in wine. When you have a, a still wine or a still beer, like um, um, the, uh, once we have made uh, um, uh, the, the a special beer, a still beer, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't common in, in, uh, in the US, uh, a still wine or a still beer, you have to uh, to lay it flat uh, because the cork must be always under liquid. Eh? Mm-hmm. When you have pressure on your bottle, when you take a champagne bottle, a cava bottle of, uh, of a Prosecco bottle and also a beer bottle, that may staying up because there is CO2 in the bottle mm-hmm. and the cork must not be uh, staying under liquid. So, so it's better that you uh, stand up your, your beer because when you have a precipitation and a reaction of your polyphenols, it, uh, it collects in the bottom of the bottle and right. not at the side of the bottle. Perfect. Do you, do you hear the stampede of beer geeks rushing to their cellar, uh, flipping their Rodenbach bottles up? Absolutely. <laughs> have you ever heard it put that way before? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. I think... Uh, you know, one thing Rudy's, Rudy's saying is, you know, pasteurization or not, you're still getting the precipitation of certain things that are going to fall out over time. And, and you're, that's an improvement in flavor that happens over time. But I've always thought that that only you're only getting the benefit of that if is if you're uh, storing something up and down, because then if you are pouring the bottle very carefully, all that is not coming back up into solution. But if you're doing a sideways uh, storage method, it's all the way up and down the bottle. I don't know how you could possibly decant that if you're if you're pouring it off. So that's something I think you lose in the aging. And I also think it makes sense what you're saying. If it is under pressure, you're getting kind of a one-way street. The pressure, the positive pressure from inside the bottle is fighting off any air transfer that's kind of trying to come back in. Now, sometimes there is some air. Uh, there's a mixing from CO2 and air. But in general, I think you're, you have a protected product. Yeah, it's the same in, in, in wine. But in wine... It is because of your cork must be under liquid. So you can also um, store your, your bottles tilt and uh, that you have the, the, uh, the precipitation as much as possible in the bottom of the bottle. Awesome. So let's uh, get to another question sponsored by uh, Sour Beer Blog before we take a quick break, Scott. This is from Eric Band-Aid. Band- I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Uh, he says, uh, big fan of the show since day one. Learned a tremendous amount from you guys. Thank you. Uh, thanks for listening, Eric. My question is for uh, those of us lucky, or is it unlucky enough, to live in a warm weather climate year-round? This guy's in Florida, uh, and uh, not have access to a basement or cellar, and we want to run long-term fermentations or start a solera. At what temperature does it begin to adversely affect the aging beer? Specifically, I know that higher temps favor lacto production, but do you have experience with the threshold? Is it only in primary that this occurs? Ooh, good question. A uh, very loaded question. Uh, you know, I'll go back to comments that Rudy made at the top of the show, which is it is one of the first things you said, which is to have many different sour beers all at once. Um, when I was working at the brewery down in Orange County, 
it's inland Orange County, and during the summer it can be uh, over 100 degrees Fahrenheit, which is, you know, basically too hot for lots of fermentations. But um, we had so many barrels to choose from, and, you know, the the fermentation of sour beer can be so up and down that uh, it allowed us to pick and choose the best tasting ones. So mm-hmm. I know that, you know, at Rodenbach you guys are looking for certain parameters, but you said, you know, you always blend by taste more than, you know, by, by numbers. And that's, that's what we were doing at the brewery. Uh, we actually, we, uh, the beer that we blended, uh, during those hot times actually became Oud Tart, which won, uh, three straight gold medals, uh, GABF World Beer Cup and then GABF again Love that beer. in the, in this category. And, you know, it was blended from hundred degree, hundred degree summer days. So my point there is just, you want to diversify your portfolio, basically. Um, you want to have different fermentations going on. I think there are some strategies uh, doing your primary fermentation with a Saccharomyces under a control. So, you know, you have your regular brewery. You're probably going to control your primary fermentation of just your IPA or your brown ale, whatever you're making. You're keeping it at 65 or 7 degrees Fahrenheit to control some of the flavors that are developed in the first 24 to 48 hours i think if you're in a climate that hot you don't want to stress out the wild yeast and bacteria in that kind of environment so take care of most of the fermentation with the saccharomyces then bring in the wild yeast and bacteria in a secondary environment where there's less almost like flavor determination left um for them to do but it's a tough spot for sure. But you know what? There are a lot of great breweries in Florida making fantastic sour beer. Uh, Chris from Green Bench, who was on the show uh, a few shows ago, um, Cigar City is you know a world-class sour beer brewery. So you know, swing by there. Ask those guys because you know, they're, they're knocking it out of the park. But I don't know. Rudy, what's, what's the temperature like um, in Rosalaire? Um, we count in Celsius. Uh, no so problem. It's, uh, it's uh, <laughs> uh, not above 15 degrees Celsius. So, okay. Um, it's better that you have it under control. I knew some uh, some sour beer brewers in our area who are also above 15 degrees, but then you risk to have uh, other flavors. You you risk to have diacetyl. You risk to have too much acetate or... Um, uh, uh, so too much um, vinegar formation. Mm-hmm. Um, when you stay under a certain t- temperature level, uh, it's important. I've heard that you win some medals with beers who were uh, matured in an uh, environment around 100 um, Fahrenheit. That's possible. But um, I can I can prove that Rodenbach won since... Uh, more than 100 years medals and uh, that's very important you can have a lucky shot yes. uh, it's also important uh, to do every year and and, and uh, every time better so uh, last year we won uh, 11 medals and awards uh, the year before 9 so uh, that is uh, you it's necessary that you have your production process under control Absolutely, and it may not be a lucky shot. Yeah, I think what you're you're representing at Rodenbach is uh, the ideal conditions, the best practices. Mm-hmm. Um, what I want to convey to you know the people who are listening is that you know you can make it work under difficult circumstances, but you have to figure out your own process to where 
you know, here are the off flavors I have to look out for under my circumstances. So, you know, Rudy's mentioning ethyl acetate, diacetyl, and uh, some maybe a vinegar flavor. Uh, and the the question was about, uh, you know, higher temperatures favoring lactobacillus. That's true. It'll favor lactobacillus growth, but it'll favor the production of ethyl acetate and acetic acid as well. So you're, you're getting a nice growth of the bacteria, but you could be getting an overproduction of their fermentation byproducts as well. Um, the important note I just wanted to touch on the other off flavor you mentioned, which is diacetyl. If you do have a hot fermentation and there's diacetyl formed, and if you have uh, especially a bacteria in there like Pediococcus, that's going to produce a lot of diacetyl. Um, an important thing is to have it exposed to at least a warmer temperature, maybe not as warm as 100 degrees Fahrenheit, but so that the Brett has an opportunity to reuptake the diacetyl and clean up your beer. Um, I think, you know, first, and I don't know the beers that well, but I believe that, you know, uh, some Lambic breweries will talk about how the beers need to go through like two summers. So they're going through two hot periods. In my eyes, I feel like maybe that's a little bit of just giving it more time to have the Brett reuptake the diastole, but I see Rudy uh, smiling, so maybe he's got okay. something else to say about no, it. It's a very, very good question. Uh, I can say I, I can say that we have um, pediococcus bacteria in our vats, but we never have um, the, 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 the liming uh, process in our vats. So um, we don't have a formation of pediococcus comparing with uh, spontaneous fermented beers because mm-hmm. they go they go with wort right. in the fats and there is a lot of sugar in the fats right? and it is uh, when when there is too much sugar in the fats that the pediococcus will give a liming beer so we go with an alcoholic beer the beer is completely fermented before we go on the fats mm-hmm. and we never have that that's a big difference and pediococcus can give you a lot of diacetyl so yes. we, we yeah. avoid that by going with fermented beer, an alcoholic beer on wood. That's great. And that's, that's kind of what I was talking about up top was maybe your best option is to take the Saccharomyces dominated fermentation first instead of like at the Rare Barrel, we do a lot of uh, Britannomyces and Lactobacillus primary fermentations. I wouldn't recommend this for someone who can't control their primary fermentation or aging mm-hmm. fermentation temperature. So. Right, that's good, but I have also heard that uh, you can make uh, an IPA, whatever, and then you go with that beer on wood. I may say when you will make a sour beer, uh, then it is very risky to have um, um, a, a bitter uh, a bitter flavor of a bitter taste in your beer because uh, when you go above 15 uh, EBU mm-hmm. uh, together with sourness, then your beer uh, risks to be undrinkable because bitterness and sourness doesn't go together. Those, uh, it's also important to make uh, a beer with um, as less bitterness as possible. Absolutely. I think that's what makes sour beer so drinkable. I'm, I'm going to uh, cut out the part of uh, Rudy saying uh, that uh, bitterness and sourness do not go together, and I'm going to boost the audio on it about 10 decibels, and I'm just going <laughs> to, in and out of every break on, on every show on this network, I'm going to play that. They're conflicting do you flavors. hear me, everybody? Bitter and sour do not mix. You know, You're trying to force it when you do it, and it, it can be done well. I do love, uh, um, what is the dry hop sour you do? Egregious. Egregious. That is as well done as it can be done. But you're still trying to force something to happen that isn't, they don't naturally melt. Just like roasty sure. and sour, they compete. Yeah, we do a dry hop, uh, golden sour beer, but low bitterness. That, okay, but that's, that's something else. That's something else. Dry hopping will not give bitterness. 
Ja, it is, it is when you use your hops at the beginning of the cooking process that you realize the bitterness in your cooking process. You can have um, a hop-flavored sour beer. That's something else. I haven't said that. I have said bitterness. Yes. And sourness. Goes very. So he's defending me. Yeah. Well, so am I. I, I. I do love that beer, and that for the reason that Rudy's saying it's that is hop flavor and not hop bitterness. But I've had many people hand me mm-hmm. sour beers that are bitter. sour IPA. Yes, you know, in quotes. It's work. yeah. That's they are conflicting. Just like you know, I think too much roast and sourness is conflicting. Right. Yes. Pe- but people are in the United States still feeling out all these things, and it's in our nature to. Push, push the edges and then see where we fall okay. off and then try and climb our way back. That's a very good idea because uh, you are looking for yourself and, and when you follow house, uh, you will see what people like. Uh, but um, you know it only when, when you go to, uh, uh, to the most extreme uh, things. It's, it's, it's great because we get to hear you know, the best practices, best advice from great brewers like Rudy and then, you know, that anchors us, that anchors us to where we should be and then gives us the confidence to maybe experiment a little bit in this direction, a little bit in that direction. But that, that's what I love about the show. We're really we'll talk we'll talk to, an, you know, an experimental brewer who's doing American spontaneous sour beer. And then the next day we'll talk to, you know, the guy who's made more sour beer than anyone. So it's. I'm kind of glad that uh, brewers aren't, you know, say, like, bridge weight limit testers, because I get the feeling their method would be to just drive a bigger and bigger truck over it until the bridge collapsed. Yes. And then, okay, we'll weigh the truck, and now we know. Yeah. But, you know, that's half the fun for us uh, right. American brewers. But uh, we're a little over time for this uh, segment, so let's uh, take a quick break, let Rudy uh, get a few sips of his beer in, and then we'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Your support of the Brewing Network means everything to us. We couldn't produce shows without you. And we love giving you something extra for that support. Like Brew Your Own Magazine. You already know it's a great brewing magazine full of recipes, equipment how-tos, discussions of beer styles, and brewing techniques. Whether you're new to brewing and just starting out or you're an old pro, you'll always learn something from the articles in Brew Your Own. Plus, they're amazing special issues like plans for building a brew. 10 system, 250 classic clone recipes, and the Home Brewer's Answer Book. Brew Your Own Magazine and BYO.com are awesome resources for any brewer. Whether for yourself or as a gift, when you subscribe or resubscribe from the Brewing Network homepage, you directly support programs like this. Get a great magazine and support the Brewing Network. Subscribe to Brew Your Own right from the BrewingNetwork.com. Attention, home brewers! If you like making labels for your handcrafted awesomeness and wished more people could see how great you are, then check this out. GrogTag, the makers of custom reusable labels and craftbeerandbrewing.com are hosting the first ever National Homebrew Label Awards. The top 10 labels will be featured at the 2015 National Homebrewers Conference in San Diego to more than 5,000 attendees and more than $2,500 in prizes will Will be awarded. If you've created a label at any time in the past year, you're eligible to enter. Grog Tag and Craft Beer and Brewing have teamed up with great sponsors like More Beer and the Brewing Network to make this competition a great one to enter. Submit your entries between March 1st and June 1st for your chance at fortune and glory at homebrewlabelawards.com. That's homebrewlabelawards.com. Submit your label entries today. Good luck, and we'll see you in San Diego. 
few things happened 30 years ago. ARPANET migrated to TCPIP, and the Internet was born. Revenge of the Jedi was renamed Return of the Jedi and opened in theaters. Mila Kunis and Emily Blunt were born, beginning a rad fantasy in my mind. But all of that pales next to the fact that HopTech opened its doors and began blowing homebrewers right out of their mash tuns. HopTech doesn't fuck around. Real people shipping awesome shit straight to you. Their new website is fast and easy to navigate. Or just call 800-379-4677 and let badass bitch Jade and the gadget guy Roberto blow their warm load of customer service all over you. So visit the site or visit Visit the store in Dublin, California, and support those that support you. Get your brewing on at hoptech.com. That's it. I've had it. I am never putting hops in my beer again. What? Why? It's just too ridiculous. Insane prices, stupid contracts, high shipping costs, crappy selection. Dude, you need Nico Brew. Nico Brew will rock your f***ing face right the f*** off your f***ing skull. $5 shipping to all 50 states, plus fantastic international rates get you low prices on Nico Brew's great selection of hops and more. Whether you're a home brewer, a pro brewer, or a home brew shop owner, Nico Brew can get you the hops you need in increments big and small, single orders, spot buys, or full contracts. And there's only one place to join the uber-special Secret Elite. Elite Bare Bones Club, where you'll get the best deals anywhere. Holy f***ing shit. NicoBrew.com. N-I-K-O-B-R-E-W. NicoBrew, your bare bones buddy in the brewing business. Since the first time the Brewing Network microphones turned on, more beer was behind it. More Beer sponsors the programming on the BN because, like you, they love brewing. And like the Brewing Network, they love sharing their knowledge. MoreBeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order. MoreBeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer. Go to MoreBeer.com and click into the Learning Center. You'll find podcasts, technical facts, video tutorials, and more, including access to The Buzz, More Beer's social network of more than 5,000 members. And some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are. Get over to MoreBeer.com today and take advantage of The Buzz, The Forum, The Learning Center, and make sure you're signed up to receive the newest More Beer catalog. More Beer, bringing you absolutely everything for beer making. All right, we're back. Rudy Hakire from Rodenbach Brewery is in the house. Brewmaster. Brewer of the most sour beer in the world. Appropriate. He, he says sour. he can't prove it, but who, who would even be competing with it? Well, I, actually, I asked Peter Buchhart that, and he's like, oh, you know, maybe Rudy. And so I was, I've been waiting to, to see Rudy to ask him, but I think that's great. New Belgium is the only, the only maybe they're the competition? In the United States, but, you know, so Peter going from Rodenbach to New Belgium, you know, maybe. But, I mean, I think... Uh, you know, your your brew house, Rudy, is 250 hectoliter. Per brew, yes. Six, 65,000 hectoliter oak fermentation capacity. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot of oak right yeah. there. So 
I don't, I don't, I don't, so. I'm not I sure if anyone so. can match that. <laughs> Maybe some wineries have that much oak, but no, no brewery that I know of in, in like the modern era yeah. with the big transition over to stainless. So. Yeah. Well, we've been having a great time. Uh, Rudy, you've been awesome answering all of our questions. Been a lot of depth. Uh, but believe it or not, this is not the first time I've been asking you questions about Rodenbach. So it is the first time he was awesome answering them, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as I was doing some research for this, uh, you know, I thought back to you had a talk at uh, 2012 in San Diego, the Craft Brewers Conference. That's right. And you went over uh, all your processes. And uh, I, I remember uh, being there and being really excited to ask you a question afterwards. Uh, but some other young brewer beat me to the punch, and we actually clipped it out. So this is uh, Chad Jacobson from our last show and from Crooked State Brewery uh, asking you about part of your presentation. Let's roll yes. it. Uh, in some of your slides, it talked about herbs that were used in the brewing process. Can you elaborate on any of the herbs that are used and where they are used in the brewing process? Herbs, yes. We use herbs in our brewing process. Do I have to say that? Herds are all typical for that type of beer. <laughs> Do I have to say that? So are you, are you ready now to I reveal the answer to that question? They or confirm no? that we use herbs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go, Chad. If you're listening, you have the definitive answer. Yes. It is confirmed. There are herbs. Okay. So now, after that, I decide to, to go up and take my shot at it. Yes. How do you monitor and manipulate the populations of microorganisms in your house culture? Monitoring our um, bacteria culture. Yes, we do that. I don't know. Hey, I don't know, Rudy, if you know, but Chad Jacobson and Jay Goodwin, these men are big deals now. Big deals. <laughs> no. Don't you wish you had answered them now? These are these are American sour beer rock stars, and you blew them off. No, no, no. Just uh, young young brewers trying to get you know just a, a smidge of your knowledge, but no can do. I you know you know we're 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 slowly getting there. We're trying to to trick you into getting some of the secrets, but I know that you know you have a two hundred year old process, so it's not like you can just explain that away in a few minutes. Okay, I have to try understanding uh, the process uh, since I arrived at the brewery. Um, I'm working on it now, 33 years. I have uh, very good colleagues who help me in that. Uh, I'm not standing on my own. We are ISO certified uh, in our brewery. So we are doing what we are saying and we are saying what we are doing, mm -hmm. but not to everyone. Uh, so um, let that be clear. Yes, absolutely. Do I have to say that? No, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. And I, I just remember being there in uh, such a great talk. And, uh, you know, every, it seems like every time you come to the States, you know, you're really doing so much work on educating people about sour beer. And I think, is it a goal of Rodenbach to kind of, uh, you know, just broaden, you, you know, your reach into the United States? Um, how can I answer that? Uh... I'd associate Rodenbach with a lot of people's first experience with sour beer. And... Yeah. You know, a lot of people go on from that to, you know, fall in love. So I, I'd, I'd, I'd be hoping that Rodenbach's on tap and, I mean, you know, Grand, Rodenbach Grand Cru and New Belgium La Folie and yeah. on every, in every bar. Yeah. Maybe because um, when you bring uh, into a market a stable sour beer that is in balance, 
then people can appreciate that. And uh, I think um, this is very important that your beer stays in balance. And also in um, 2012, uh, uh, at the closing, uh, the closing night, uh, I think it was um, uh, the president of the CBC who said that also, uh, uh, bring your beers in balance. Uh, um, and, and that is important. Um, um, it's good that there are extreme beers, but um, at the end, they must be in balance. Absolutely. And that comment was received by, I think, a roarous applause and a standing ovation because that's a big thing. A, a bit of uh, an anxiety point in American craft brewing is that with so many new brewers starting, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, public knowledge and uh, it's it's going well overall. But I think there's a bit of anxiety about with all the new brewers, just the, the overall quality how that's affecting it you know are is it getting watered down at all because there are so many breweries or do breweries lean too much on extreme flavors so mm-hmm. i think we're, we're we're seeing a trend back towards balance and more like a, a subtle complexity component of beers like rodenbach um kind of gaining more traction with american drinkers mm-hmm. but i think uh rodenbach is a very pure beer um, um there are the, the flavors are very well combined. I think uh, in sour beers you can bring in other other flavors, uh, just like fruity flavors, just adding fruit or adding herbs and spices. You can experiment on that. Um, there's not a problem, but that will make the beers complex or less complex. It depends. Um, in our fall, we have chosen for uh, bringing in the market pure beers uh, who are who are based on the on the maturation uh, and the maturation flavors that we bring into the beer. Absolutely. And, you know, you're talking about your beers and, you know, we discussed uh, sort of the base method of the Grand Cru. We touched on a little bit and then the vintage. But one that I didn't really get a chance to ask you in detail about is the Character Rouge. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about that one? Well, the Character Rouge, uh, we bring in... Um, three types of fresh fruit uh, we put it also on the label uh, um, sour cherries raspberries and also cranberries and cranberries uh, the, the combination with the tr- uh, with the three different fruits uh, is well chosen it's not uh, an experiment so you know you say that the the three fruits are well chosen what what percentages are the different fruits, the ratio. Do I have to say that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I walked into that. Pro- no, do I have to say that? <laughs> no, we, we we try to bring in the fruit uh, to to um, to become uh, a fruit flavor, but not overpowered, uh, being in balance. And um, yeah, you can uh, use more cranberries, but uh, then you will realize another flavor uh, and it's up to those who do that uh, uh, what uh, your customers uh, find of it okay so you use cranberries the least is what, is what you're saying I haven't said that <laughs> <laughs> it's about 20% yeah something around there. no no I'm just joking. maybe more <laughs> maybe more <laughs> try out Awesome. Well, enough enough with uh, my prime questions. Do we have any more to wrap up from the listeners, Scott? Yes. Let's go to the email. This is from Mitch uh, at Former Future Brewing Company. He said, Howdy, guys. I work at a brewery that is making 100% spontaneous sales in Denver, Colorado. 
So far, we've made a few really great beers, and we won a bronze medal at GABF this year in 16C Wild Ale. Congrats. Nice work, Mitch. Uh, the reason I'm contacting you is bottle conditioning. In an effort to keep these ales 100% spontaneous, we don't add any cultured yeast on bottling day. Instead, when we transfer a barrel of spontaneous beer to our bottling vessel, we try to transfer just a little bit of the wild yeast at the bottom of the barrel as well. Then we add our priming sugar to the bottle. So far, we've had good luck, but like Jay, uh, we have nightmares about it going terribly wrong. I know that this is potentially risky, but we don't want to force carb these beers for obvious reasons. Any suggestions for having more control over the carbonation process without adding lab yeast? Um, what can I say that is that wild yeast will um, ferment all your sugars and you have to count it. Uh, you may not add too much sugars uh, uh, otherwise, you risk to have too much pressure in your bottles and you risk to have um, bottle burst, but that can be very risky for your customers. And I will not have one customer who is uh, hurt by, uh, by a bottle who has exploded. Yeah, I mean, I'll echo that too. We were so worried about it that we just did a bunch of bottling experiments before we ever bottled our first commercial beer. These were just for in-house. So we tried out different yeast strains for bottling, different sugar additions, Um if you're already doing spontaneous, uh, you know, you're, you're, so the goal, what you asked about was how do you minimize your risk? But with spontaneous, I, I almost get the, the urge to go the other way with it, which is to introduce even more variables like uh, a goose blender where you're adding in uh, the young beer. And that's in a certain amount, with, you know, considering the sugar and the fresh yeast and, you know, maybe carbonate the bottles that way. That's going completely against what you asked for, but you're already doing such interesting things with a spontaneous fermentation. I know that I'm, that once we do uh, try a spontaneous ourselves at the rare barrel, I think that's that's what we'll try to do, but it's not, not the best answer. If you don't want to force carb, you know, I would just do small-scale uh, experiments as you go. But it's good that you've had early success. Just to, to restate what maybe is obvious to him, um, why is it obvious that he shouldn't force carb? Well, <clears throat> he's he's looking for development in the bottle, I think. So this this romanticism we you know talked about a little bit earlier. There's you know it's almost you're like you're passing on the cellarmanship of the beer. You've taken care of this from the brew day to your barrel aging um, to your packaging, and you're kind of saying, hey, you know, buy a few bottles of these and then drink them when you think they're ready. So it's almost like if you buy this beer, you're almost taking ownership of the brewing of it. I mean, you're deciding when it's good enough to drink. And if you're following along in the progress, then you get to kind of get it at its peak. Um, force carb that, that can still happen. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost the same principle as what Rodenbach is doing. Um, slightly different, uh, less, less stable. Um, so I think he's, he's trying to get character that develops beyond what they imagine at their time of blending, which is not too uncommon in uh, for for American brewers, basically. Got it. Well, before we get out of here, I just want to uh, personally thank you, Rudy, because uh, I am one of the guys who uh, Rodenbach was my transition to sour beer. It was the first sour beer I really liked. Still go back to it all the time. And uh, it's been a thrill to have you here. Yeah, actually, yeah, I just have to echo that. My, my dad, actually, is like the biggest Rodenbach fan I know. So I don't think he would have, and he's a part of uh, what we're doing at the Rare Barrel. So I think you'll meet him on Friday, and he's, he's going to be happy to shake your hand. And thank you for all the great beers you're making. Um, 
And thanks so much for bringing them to the U.S. You know, I, the thirst for sour beer here is out of control. So it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. People need the most refreshing beer in the world. Yes. You know, absolutely. As, as per Michael Jackson. Yep. Beer hunter himself. So uh, thanks to our guest, Rudy, from uh, Rodenbach. Uh, we'll be back uh, in about a month from now. We're going back to kind of regular schedule. Um not ready to say who the guest is next time. I have to double, triple confirm. But our, our upcoming lineup is is excellent as always. So we've been having a great string of guests, um, present company included. But uh, thank you guys so much for listening. This has been the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. to say that.